The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from powerful women leaders who will share their playbooks on how to manage smarter, be more successful, and change your game. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're absolutely in the right place. And the buzz today on the street and everywhere else is on your game. I know that's a loaded phrase, so let's get started. So, talking to all of you out there in our global audience, so you want to start a business? Hmm. Well, it helps to start at the very beginning, but do you even know the steps to take? And perhaps even more important, do you know what sticking points, potholes, bumps, speed bumps, slow bumps you could encounter along the way? A lot of information you may not have in your fingertips and in your toolkit and in your briefcase if you still carry one. What do you know about seed money? What do you know about funding? Do you know the difference between a business model and a business mission could be critical to your success? Do you know who the right advisors are? How do you build a board of directors? And perhaps even more important, how do you create a core staff that will embrace your vision, your mission, and help you go forward to success? A lot of questions on the table. You might know the answers to a couple, but I bet you don't know them all. Game Changing Women Radio Executive Producer and SAP Chief Learning Officer Jenny Dearborn and I invite you to join us for the next hour as three bold women entrepreneurs, and I'm using the word bold on purpose, will share their stories to help you figure out the possibilities for you and help you identify the pitfalls of changing your own game. Let me get started introducing our wonderful panel. First up, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Jane Westman, president of Jane Westman Public Relations. And Jane has sent me a quote from Tallulah Bankhead. I know it's an interesting name. Those of you who aren't familiar, she was an American actress of stage and screen, a talk show host, and here comes the dicey part. She was a reputed libertine. She had a deep voice. She was a flamboyant lady, and she supported liberal causes. Not quite what was going on with Southern Democrats at the time. But I digress. Here's the quote. If I had to live my life again, I'd make the same mistakes only sooner. Sounds good to me. Jane Westman, thank you for joining us. And how in the world did Tallulah Bankhead get on a show on the radio about game-changing women in 2015? Talk to me. Well, you know, Tallulah uh, was a very, very glamorous woman. She definitely was a rebel. She uh, shocked a lot of people. But, but she she was a person who believed in herself. And the quote that I've chosen from her really says it all. It talks about embracing your life, being proud of who you are, and and understanding that your mis- mistakes are just part of your life and thinking about how much you can learn from your mistakes. So the way that I see it is she's saying, hey, my life was great. I've made a lot of mistakes. I wish I had made them earlier. 
Why? Because we can learn so much from the mistakes that we make. And that's so true in starting and running a business. Very interesting, Jane. You know, what comes to mind as you're talking and explaining the quote, and thank you for that, what comes to mind is the phrase, I, I think everybody in the panel has heard this, youth is wasted on the young. It's not that we we don't make, of course we all make mistakes, but we don't know how to process them, analyze them, and benefit from them. Do you agree with that, Jane? Um, yes, and and it's, it's interesting. Um, as you know, my I publicize books, and one of mm-hmm. the books I've recently publicized was about brain development and how our brains grow. And so it is true that when, as we're younger, we don't um, know how to process our mistakes and, and we're not quite as aware as we become as we get older. So that's why longevity in business is important, experience is important. So uh, young people have a tremendous amount of energy, which makes them great at starting and launching businesses. But as you get older, you have a tremendous amount of wisdom. Wisdom is what we're looking for. Thank you, Jane. And I think the word also is we're looking for resilience that the young have. We'd love to bottle that up and keep that as we get older and as we get more more into our businesses. We have to remain resilient, especially in the age of the digital economy. Jane Westman, pleasure to meet with you. Thank you for joining us. And now I'm going to introduce our second panelist. She is Andrea Cutright, co-founder and CEO of Foodily, F-O-O-D-I-L-Y. And a little later in the show, we'll have everybody talk a little bit about what you're companies do. Here's the quote from Andrea. Building a company is for wimps. Build a mission. Well, that sounds like fighting words, Andrea. Andrea, I'm calling you. Andrea, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. Tell me about the quote. Is this an Andrea Cutright original? It is. And I, I really wanted to be able to express to other people who are thinking about building a company how important it is to have such a big vision to keep you motivated each day. And it's not just about motivation, really. It's about the ability to inspire other people into accomplishing great things. And, you know, even every, you know, every great company that we see out there, we can understand their business model. We really understand what they're, what they're offering as a service or what they're trying to accomplish as they, as they build their companies. But maybe what you don't understand is that most CEOs and co-founders of companies start them not just for, for a simple model of executing a service, but really for a mission. Um, another quote would be from Mark Zuckerberg, who said Facebook wasn't really built to connect friends. It was built to accomplish a social mission. He really wanted to make the world more open and more connected with each other. And I think great companies start with missions that allow them to achieve greater goals and continue to have that North Star that they're shooting for. Thank you very much. True North and North Star, I like that. Uh, Andrea, we're going to talk later in the roundtable. We'll get into the definition of model versus mission. You have some great example you sent me in your notes, so thank you for that. Good as well. Nice to meet you and have you on the show. And let's round out the panel with Molly McCoy, CEO and founder of HRQ. That's little HR, capital Q. And instead of quoting someone, she's bringing us a book title. It's the title of a book by Bernard Schroeder. And the title is Fail Fast or Win Big, Five Very Powerful Words in Combination. Molly McCoy, welcome. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing well. 
Thanks for joining me. Interesting. Fail fast or win big. What's our choice here today, Molly? We want everybody to win big. Well, maybe we, we, they need to fail fast first. Talk to me. And it, the concept is top of mind for me at present time. And Bernard's book has become very relevant um, and hopefully it is for the listeners today. I founded um, HRQ 16 years ago, and it's at a more mature state as far as the business stage. And have founded two other companies as well, but I'm in the process right now of launching a fourth organization later this year. So in reading Bernard's book, the concept really resonates with me as far as we'll either prove concept quickly as far as this particular business or win big, and ideally the goal is to win big, but there's so much rich data as far as um, decisions around to secure funding or not, to self-fund, um, to, uh, I mean, really it's, it's the A to Z um, steps to a business launch. And Thank this, you, Brian. The, yeah. Go ahead, Molly. I would say and the company is in a completely different industry sector for me, so mm-hmm. it's good to be a student again. Um, of launching. <laughs> <laughs> student of launching. I like that. A lot of, lot of people in high school and college, I think, consider themselves students of lunch and they just stop right there. That was, that was really a good one. Thanks for that setup. Uh, Molly, fail fast. This goes back to what Jane was talking about, the Tallulah Bankhead quote. If I had to live my life again, I'd make the same mistakes only sooner. So we're saying fail quickly, get it over with, learn from it. Do you agree with Tallulah Bankhead, Molly? Absolutely. And rather than just sinking time and energy and our passion into something that isn't going to prove, um, and like I said, I'm the eternal optimist, so I'm confident this will, (laughs) uh, this particular brand concept will, but it's, um, you know, within 12 months we'll know. Okay, well, that's not too far off. When we get to the end of the show, we're going to do predictions, and I always like to say fast forward to 2020, but you may have something a lot nearer and dearer and closer to home than that. Thank you. Ladies, I'm going to circle back to Jane Westman, who I know is ready to tell me her favorite beverage story. So, Jane, I'm just going to say, what's in your cup today, or what do you wish you were drinking? Jane Westman, talk to Uh, me. Okay, well, you know what? I'm a big coffee drinker. I love it. I think coffee keeps me sharp and smart. So I tend to drink three, four cups of of coffee a day. But when I want a real pick-me-up, there's this wonderful vegan restaurant and um, bakery in New York City where I'm based called Blossom. So I like to drink a Blossom du jour drink. Um, The one I prefer is for supreme immunity, and it's made up of carrot, beet, celery, ginger, and vitamin C. And when I drink that, I feel really energized, and I feel great for the rest of the day. Wow. And, Jane, there's even a website, BlossomDuJour.com. And I'm looking here, Blossom Bakery, 100% vegan, organic, and kosher bakery, specializing in our own blah, 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 between 20th and 21st Streets. The address is 174 Ninth Avenue. I'm not past a little shameless promotion here. Is that the place you like to visit? Yes, and... But they have a wonderful small takeout place on 23rd Street and near 8th Avenue here in, in New York City. That's where I go to. 
Um, I could promote Blossom all day, but I think we need to move on. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the Blossom Bowls on BlossomDuJour.com, and they look really, really good. As healthy as you want to be. Great catchphrase. Thank you, Jane. We'll stay healthy and alert here. Andrea Cutright, where are you calling from, and what's your favorite drink, or what are you drinking right now, Andrea? From San Francisco, and I'm pretty sure most everyone's heard the Mark Twain a quote that the coldest summer he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. And that is the truth. There's been nothing but fog, I think, each day, this week and last week, and really in the weeks looking forward. So I've been looking forward to tiki cocktails at night. And there's something really relaxing about creating cocktails uh, right after work when you want to be able to relax, but uh, gets your mind off of work and creating just the right thing. And I really love the fog cutter. It's a Trader Vic invention, and there was a great place in Hollywood that took a version of that called Edna's Fog Cutter, and it was really the signature drink of this old uh, Hollywood restaurant, and whoever gave birth to the Fog Cutter named it for a diving knife, but should have really named it for San Francisco, and it's a pretty simple drink to make. It's really white rum and gin and brandy and a little sweet and sour mix. I know that if you are a really great cocktail mixologist, you probably make your own sweet and sour mix. I tend to buy stuff from right off the shelf on Trader Joe's. A couple of dashes of simple syrup shaken up, but that the trick is a little float of cherry-flavored brandy on top, and Ooh. it just transports you right out of the fog and right onto a beach. I love it. And by the way, Andrea, Emeril Lagasse has his own recipe. He says the prep time is three minutes, and he uses light rum, brandy, gin, orange juice, lemon juice, and orgiat syrup, and a teaspoon of sweet sherry on the top. So there you go. This yeah, is all the way there's back. There's a version for me. I think there is all the way back to 2002 and we've got Food Network. Yes, has he's on the Food Network and oh, Bacardi.com. We have all, oh my goodness. And the Fog Cutter Tiki Cocktail Recipe at the Savory.com. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Yum. Okay. Interesting. Molly McCoy, I can't ask you to top those two stories, but you can sure try. Go ahead, Molly. Well, and I think I'll be looking for that drink later today, Andrea. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I'll try. So I, I actually, I'm based in Denver. However, I'm sitting in Orlando, Florida this morning. Um, and uh, so I'll take you to a moment this morning that has to do with my cup that's sitting in front of me right now. So it's a 96-degree humid day in Orlando. Uh-huh. So imagine that you're walking in the front door of your resort and checking in, and there are pillars of citrus-infused water on ice in front of you. So that is, that's the cup I have in front of me. It's refreshing, uh, and it's not the typical start to my day as far as um, what's in my cup. But the symbolic piece of it is we then ventured out to the pool, because uh, it's a family trip, it's a personal trip, and I had a moment of conflict as far as, gosh, the show was originally scheduled for last week, and, and had it been rescheduled sooner, I probably wouldn't have accepted to join the conversation just based on having a family vacation this week. And But the date changed rather short notice and kind of circling this back to business ownership and starting a business, the commitments I make to people are so important. And the last thing I was going to do two weeks out is let Jenny Dearborn down at SAP. 
and not participate. So I'm, an, I'm enjoying my citrus-infused water, but we'll be by the pool in 45 minutes with um, a cocktail in hand. <laughs> ah, what's that cocktail going to be? Come on, Molly, tell us. What's it, the favorite it will one? It be a mojito. Ah, okay. Uh, anybody special mojito version, or is it the? I'm, you're going to hate me for this. Is it the real McCoy mojito? I I have to go with mint and lime. Oh, nice. It's just um, it's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've certainly got a good uh, a good thinking and a good drinking bunch here. I appreciate, ladies, you're sharing your recipes and all of your yes, very very interesting. Our topic today is. Changing your game, steps to starting up on your own. It's a very serious topic. We have so much ground to cover, so much territory when we come back from the break. I'm speaking today with a very interesting group. They're all in the trenches. They know what it takes. Been there, done that, made the mistakes, lived to tell again, processed, analyzed, and came out sparkling. We're speaking today with Jane Westman, president of Jane Westman Public Relations, Andrea Cutright, co-founder and CEO of Foodily, Molly McCoy, CEO and founder of HRQ. When we come back, just before we start the roundtable discussion, I'm going to ask each of my three panelists to tell us in one minute or less what your company does and what your mission is. I think that'll be key for us to get going. And then Jane Westman and I will kick off the roundtable right after that. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. And by the way, I'm Bonnie D. Graham now, and I plan to be right after the break. So we'll be right back. Brad out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For women, the pressure to achieve at work is stronger, the hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. Tune in to hear today's powerful women leaders help you make sense of it all. They will get you thinking about how to manage smarter. They will analyze how you can change the game. And they will share their playbooks on how you can make it happen. Game Changing Women is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Women. Here we are. We have three extraordinarily game-changing women on the panel today, and let's do some introductions. We'll call this the new Getting to Know You segment. Jane Westman, tell me a little bit about what Jane Westman Public Relations does and your mission for your company. When did you found it? Certainly. Well, I hate to admit it, but my company is 35 years old now, so I am not really a serial entrepreneur. I may be a very boring entrepreneur uh, who is an expert on book publicity, meaning I help authors and book publishers uh, let the world know about their books. And I've worked with a, a wide range of thought leaders, both in uh, business and investing, such as uh, people like Charles 
Schwab. Um, I've worked with uh, leadership management experts such as Stephen Covey. Um, I handle a lot of health, diet, and fitness books, and I also publicize a lot of fiction. But I, I so I, but I have another mission that I, I, I want to point out. I am president of the New York City chapter of the National Association of Women Business Owners. So I do have another mission, which is to help women launch and run their businesses. And because of that, I've created a, a very important mentoring program, which helps women grow their businesses. And I've also written a book on the topic of women in business. Thank you, Jane. I, I hesitate to say, but I think your company is a millennial. Does it qualify? <laughs> 35? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm, I feel very young and energetic with that comment. I'm glad to put that on the table, Jane Westman. I thought you would appreciate that. You said 35. I said, damn, it's a millennial. There we go. Great. we got to get that word in the program somewhere, darn it. Thank you, Jane. Good introduction. Andrea Cutright, tell us a little about Foodly. When, where, how, why, what's your mission? Certainly our mission is around food, and it's about making it possible for everyone to eat at home the way that they want to and eliminating all those hurdles that tend to exist around what are we going to have for dinner at 4 o'clock in a way of really improving people's lives. Now, Foodly is a new company, so we're about four years old now, not quite five years old, and we're a venture-backed company here in California, and there are so many interesting internet revolutions that have taken place around giving people more control over their experiences. Now, we used to call travel agents and have to track people down or click around on a million websites before we could figure something out, before people started to invent ways of looking at all your options in one screen or in one view. And we wanted that same experience for food. What eating better means to me is completely different than the way it means to you. For me, I'm a mom. I have three young kids. For me, eating better is just everybody's remotely happy. I haven't, I have been able to accomplish a family dinner and it's something that doesn't take me days and days to get done. Now, for someone else, they might be dealing with a health issue or want to lose weight or just want to eat a more diverse range of food. And what Foodly does is helps you discover recipe content based on different filters that you might apply for yourself and then lets you order the ingredients directly from an online grocer and have those delivered to your home. Wow. So it's one-stop recipe and ingredient shopping. Can we say that? We can. And I think what's great is there's so much great recipe content online that most people love to just spend time discovering. I do. And instead of just <laughs> pinning it or bookmarking it or trying to remember the link, you can actually take action right when you're seeing something that you love. I love it. And on your homepage, you're featuring s'mores. 
I bet Jane remembers we s'mores. Are... I, everybody remembers s'mores from, I remember them from Girl Scouts. It was that graham cracker with the melted Hershey bar and the toasted marshmallows on top, and good luck keeping it off of your fingers. Oh, my goodness. And right underneath s'mores, you've got unique, healthy, vegan dinners. I love that juxtaposition, Andrea. You're making my mouth water with guilt on the top and making me feel healthy on the bottom. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. Molly McCoy, HRQ, talk to us. What, when, why, where, how, what's your mission? Sure. HRQ, um, we're celebrating our Sweet 16 this year. And our team sits in multiple cities across the United States. Uh, although I feel like we truly started to um, kind of a different chapter at HRQ and we started to grow um, into multiple locations, which took place um, about eight years ago, the actual national growth. And our mission, we like to call it our ambition and, and put a verb behind it as far as our energy and passion is elevated HR. And for those of you who might not be on the in the corporate space, HR is human resources. And our organization is very um, clear and partners well with organizations that use HR as a differentiator. Um, and we find that those that do that achieve greater business results for their um, organizations. So our, our typical client tends to be... Um, the average revenue size is about $10 billion. Um, usually global organizations, not always, where we help their HR team hit on all cylinders. Wow, very interesting. So you're not dealing with uh, with uh, little startups. $10 billion is a very substantial company. I'm on your website, hrqinc.com, and I love the phrase right on Q with the letter Q. Very nice, very nicely done. Love the green. Thank you, ladies, very much. It's time for us to get going in earnest. Uh, when I used to say that phrase, my mother would say, who's earnest? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just one of those things. Yes, I once had a blind date with a man named Ernest. I came back and told mom about it, and she said, was he earnest sincere? But I'll let that one alone. Yes, mom's 98 and still still uh, pushing the joke. So let's get to our topic here. Yes, and she's probably listening to the show on her computer, too. Changing your game, steps to starting up on your own. Jane Time for us to dig into some of the notes you sent. I'm looking at your first statement, Jane. I think I'd like to start here. You say commitment is crucial to launch a company. You need to be fully committed to your business. This is not about the latest fad or fashion. I think that's enough said. Jane, why don't you give us about a minute and a half or so of expansion on this, and then we will get Molly's and Andrea's opinions on this topic, and then we'll move along. Go ahead, Jane. You know, over the years as I've been working with women entrepreneurs um, or, or women who want to be entrepreneurs, one of the biggest problems that I've seen with them, and, I, and I'm going to assume this is also true with men, is that they become wishy-washy about what, their, what business is that they're starting. They have this concept that they want the freedom and the lifestyle of being an entrepreneur, but they're not really clear about what this business is that they're starting. And sometimes they try too many different things, or they start a business and uh, an opportunity comes along that takes them a little bit off track, and they follow that opportunity. So what happens is they they try to do too many things, um, and they end up doing nothing. So I say you need to have a clear vision of what you're business is you must commit to that 
vision. You need a plan to follow, uh, and you cannot be sidetracked. And that's also the only way you're going to get people on board with you, which, uh, as, as you know, is, is, is for me, the, the most important thing about being an entrepreneur or running a business is that you cannot do it alone. So this vision and sticking to your guns and being committed, it, that's the key. Thank you, Jane. Andrea, agree, disagree? What have you found? Oh, completely agree. I think one of the number one character traits an entrepreneur can have is tenacity, mainly because you face more decisions in a single day than you really thought you might ever accomplish in a lifetime sometimes is how it feels. Because you're running a business, you're, you're making every decision possible, especially at a small stage and even at a larger stage, meaning the scale of your company is bigger or the team running with your company is bigger. And I really, really enjoyed the idea that you can't do it alone. Starting a company is a big risk. And the only way to make that risk a little bit more palatable is to do it with a team that helps you feel like you can accomplish anything. Thank you very much. Molly McCoy, thoughts about commitment? I'll actually expand on the topic a bit. I think equally important is anchoring and being very clear on what your culture, desired culture and values are. And it tends to stand those, if, if, um, re- if they're clarified up front, tend to stand the test of time. And that every decision that you make, you can anchor back to the de- desired culture and values. And sometimes that means even the clients who you work with or don't work with, um, if they don't complement the desired culture or value set, as well as the, to the other lady's point, all, all the decisions that you are faced with on a day-to-day basis, you can anchor to your culture and values. Jane Westman, thoughts on that? Addition to your topic? What do you think? Uh, absolutely. Culture and values are the key because you need to have people take the ride with you. They, they've, got to, they've got to understand what you stand for. You cannot be wishy-washy. You, you need to... Walk the walk, talk the talk. You've, you've really got to be clear on what is important to you, what is meaningful to you, and then you've got to be able to express that, that so people will want to join you. And the key to that, number one, is understanding yourself. You re- a, a great entrepreneur understands himself or herself and can make a commitment to a mission because they know what they want. Thank you very much. Guess what? I want to move to Andrea Cutright, some of your comments here. I'm going to try and cover as much territory as possible because this, I, th- I think our, our mission today, ladies, is to make this as much of a how-to with brief and to the point tips and hints and suggestions that are really usable and practical for our entrepreneurs in the audience, our, our women entrepreneurs specifically, to hit the ground running and decide, are they right for this? Are they going to succceed? How do they get from point A to point B? So, Andrea, I'm looking at your notes, and I know one of your very important topics is the difference between a business model and a mission. And in your notes, you sent me Uber. Everybody talks about Uber on most of our Game Changer radio shows. So very happy to have you use that as the model for a model versus a mission. What is Uber's deal? Go ahead, Andrea. Of course. I think 
one of the things about a model is it's really clear to see the service that a company offers. The example I had in Uber was that, of course, they take people with cars and connect them with people who need rides. But at its central vision, the mission of that company is to disrupt the transportation industry and utilizing the capital that exists everywhere rather than the capital that exists within a company. Now, the reason a mission is so important is because your model can change. One of the best things, and I think we started this show with talking about failing fast, is that your model doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to. Uh I think we had at least six business models before we hit on one that worked. And you have to have, you can't say that your company fails because one piece of your model doesn't work. You have to keep in mind exactly what you're trying to accomplish because you need a lot of room to figure out exactly how is this going to work. Is there a time frame, Andrea? Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask you, what's the time frame from failing fast to, yes, we got it? How long do you give yourself? Hello? Right. Well, I think, yes, we've got it becomes fairly obvious to everyone. And if you have a board and board members or teams that you work with, pretty quickly you know, like, okay, that one worked. Let's keep doing that. But But it is important that you do have an understanding of exactly what you can accomplish and what those, those markers are of winning or failing. So you have to set those yourself and you have to give your own time frame and hopefully it is quick. Okay, good. Well, we'll talk more about that time frame. What's acceptable and palatable might differ between you and your family and your banker and your board of directors. Bonnie, and Bonnie, uh, this, yeah. this is Jane. I, I want Please. to say something. Um, yeah. I think in, in today's global marketplace, the the importance of the mission or vision is is key because with technology, uh, things are changing so quickly. And Uber is a great example of a company that's come in and really and changed many uh, things about how we think about business and and including they're really fighting all government regulations Mm -hmm. that are restricting um, individuals' ability to... um, you know, be their own boss and and drive their own cars. But you know, Uber is also looking forward to uh, creating driverless cars. They're they're invest they're investing in in robotics. So the point is that the that the business model or how you make money or what services you provide or what product you provide it often changes. Um, because you've got to keep up with the competi- competition. And as I say, in this global economy, we're competing with everybody around the world. And as technology makes us more and more, uh, makes us more competitive and allows us to have more competitors, it's that underlying mission and values and, and vision that cannot change. That's your bedrock of your company. Great point, Jane. Thank you for that. Molly, I want to get you in on this part of the discussion, too. Go ahead, please. Join us. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about just the, the model versus the mission and whether it's tweaking that over time or landing on the right model um, or what feels like the right model out of the gate is wherever you're at with that evolution to always have the voice of the customer as a component of that. And it sounds so simple and obvious, but it's amazing how often companies, I think, do lose sight of that um, 
or or how often um, organizations pulse pulse um, check their client base on a more formal basis as far as not only the quality of their services but also how they're thought of in the market or how the brand is thought of in the market. So whether it's um, you know a little bit different scenario with Uber that's completely disrupting an industry um, and also carries a $40 billion market valuation um, versus startup where you want to be probably closer to the customer voice because ultimately they're casting their vote. Interesting. Just a side note, ladies, I have friends here in New York who have invested in taxi medallions. And, Jane, you probably know best what that means. Uh, and they were, they're part of their estates, part of their legacies. They were expecting to leave uh, $1.5 to $2 million per medallion value, resale value, in their estates to their children, who are now grown, middle-aged. And uh, they're seeing the, the value of those medallions drop precipitously because of, wait for it, wait for it, Uber, and these people are reading the news every day, scouring the Internet for articles about where is Uber failing. They don't want the model to succeed because they want the taxis to stay viable and productive. Jane, any quick comments on that as a New Yorker? Yes, certainly. I think that people who own taxi medallions have to look at their business model, and they're going to have to start thinking about what services can they provide based on the fact that they do have this very valuable medallion Mm -hmm. that's very special and is limited in in the number of medallions that exist. I think it's a a shift in business model. I really do, and I and I think that. you know, it's, there are ups and downs in the real estate market. There are ups and downs in all, all kinds of markets. And, yes, I understand that the taxi medallions have lost a tremendous amount of value, but it's not over yet. And it, ah. it, one has to look to the future and think and, and stop being complacent um, and think about what am I going to do with this medallion to make it really valuable again. Thank you. Great points. I'll pass that along to my worried friends. Thank you. <laughs> Ma, I appreciate that. Molly McCoy, I'm looking at your notes. I'm just jumping from, from panelist to panelist so we get the most because you all were so gracious in sending me so much good information. Molly, here's something very telling. You ask the question, starting your own business, does it sound sexy, liberating, fun, empowering? Well, it's a lot of hard work. But the most important question you ask, Molly, is are you starting a company or creating a job for yourself? And your answer is most frequently, especially with women, the answer is they're creating a job. Can you differentiate that for us, please, Molly? I think this is one of our bedrock questions. I think Jane used the term in terms of mission. This is something that's a defining moment. Molly, talk to me. Yeah, when I, I found that when entrepreneurs or especially women who are reaching out to me to um, you know, just pick my brain or learn from me as far as um, having started um, several companies and been successful with those, that as we get deeper into the discussion and really talk about what their motivators are, um, that essentially most land on that they're actually they're starting a business, but it's actually they're creating a job for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that it's helpful to know up front um, what the differences are and wh- what you're trying to scale and what happens um, if it is successful and when it is successful and how you scale from there. Because I, I was just shocked. Um, several years ago, I was asked to um, 
recruit other female CEOs or presidents who are running businesses um, north of $12 million in revenue to join a YPO organization that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, gosh, no problem. I'd be happy to help. And how hard can that be? And when I started to have broader conversations in the market, and granted, this is just Denver-based, um, I couldn't find any. And it was I was so disappointed and surprised and started to dig in deeper. I'm like, why aren't we growing our companies? And, um, you know, and most women tend to be comfortable creating jobs for themselves. And that's where they, they land. And like I said, there's not anything wrong with that, but it is good to know up front what, um, what you're setting out to accomplish. And that's where they land, and that might be where they stay. Uh, Andrea Cartwright, any comments on creating a job Please or a company? Right, no anyway, you spay all those. Oh, we got something in there. Sounds second, like sorry. radio going on. Uh, Andrea, want to pass on this? I can get Jane in. Jane, why don't you take it while Andrea's settling up whatever she's doing? Okay. Jane? Um, I, you know, I, I don't have the statistics at my fingertips. So um, 12 million, a business that's $12 million or more is actually a fairly large small business in the United States. And I think if you look at the statistics overall between men and women, um, there aren't that many men either in the United States who who can start a business that size. Uh, What we do see at the National Association of Women Business Owners are a lot of women wanting to start small businesses where, where they are starting off uh, as what we call a solopreneur, what we used mm-hmm. to call a freelancer, but they do have a vision of adding employees. Um, and so maybe they're going to be a business of four or five uh, employees, and maybe they are, they're going to gross a couple of million dollars a year, which is fantastic when, when you have a small workforce like that. So I wouldn't be so hard on women for not wanting to start uh, larger companies, but what I but what I do want to point out because this is where I agree. You must know if you're if you're if you want to be a freelancer, a solopreneur without employees, or mm-hmm. if you want to grow a business with five employees, ten employees, twenty employees, because you, how you move forward is going to change. But underneath it all, no matter what, even if you're starting your own business by yourself. You cannot do it alone, so you need to network, you need to add a board of directors, you need outside advisors, uh, you may need some part-time help. Don't imagine that you can start, a, as you say, a job for yourself at home alone without uh, reaching out and bringing in other people to help you grow your own job, career, business, whatever you want to call it. Thank you, Jane. Andre, you back with us? You want to comment? Andrea Cutright? We might have lost her. So I'll, I'll oh. comment on that okay, if go I ahead, can Molly. do Yeah, uh, this is Molly. I just the importance, too, if you have a partner or spouse in your life and the support that they're uh, providing during not only the startup stages, um, but also, you know, as, as the business takes off, it's it's just so critical to have um, that support on a, a day-to-day basis. 
It was actually my husband who gave me Bernard's book, The Fail Faster, Win Big. Um, he's like, here, <laughs> read this. Don't, don't, don't take us to the bank. Do, do it fast. <laughs> like if well, this isn't going to work, do it fast. <laughs> Molly, I'm glad you brought that up because well, your last comment here, Jane, I'm going to circle back to you in a second. I, I think we lost Andrea. I'm not sure. Um, your comment here is you say marry well. And usually when we hear that, we think of marrying into money or marrying into a, a, a good business proposition. However, you say spousal and partner support is huge, and you credit your husband with being super supportive. Just want to give us one sentence about that, Molly, before I move back to Jane? Yeah, it's actually just the opposite situation. That My husband's very comfortable with being the, um, I don't want to say primary, because um, you know he, he spends more time with the kids as far as their activities. Yeah. And, Shuttling the three of them at various places, um, but it's it's without his support and comfort with taking that role and a bit of role reversal, um, I would not have been able to be as successful with HRQ and, and other endeavors as I have been. Thank you. you wanted to do a shout out to your husband, first name? Yeah, he's down by the pool. I'll be down there in a minute. Great <laughs> Hello, husband by the pool. Okay. (laughs) Jane Westman. I think he's got the better gig. (laughs) Oh, we're having fun with you. Don't worry. You'll get to the pool soon. It's only, we only have about 16 minutes left, uh, 20 minutes left. I know you are, dear. Jane Westman, I want to talk about your comment here. Such great stuff in your notes. You say, know your industry. If you want to open a restaurant, work in one. Want to start a marketing firm, experience one. And you say you can learn huge amounts online by industry websites, blogs, your competitors' websites, join groups on LinkedIn, other social sites, stay informed. How big is social in terms of that learning curve of being in the industry before you put your foot into the entrepreneurial uh, uh, box or pool, if you will? Jane? Um, it's it's crucial to, to understand your industry. It's very naive to think that you can start a business and not know the industry. And I, and I see this quite often where um, an entrepreneur, a, a, a would-be entrepreneur, has a passion to do something that he or she really likes to do, but really doesn't know whether or not there's a market or whether or not they're going to be customers um, for this product or service. And that's why understanding the industry is key. If you can get experience on somebody else's money, in other words, if you can get paid to work for somebody in the industry, you're going to learn a huge amount. And take something really simple like a bakery. Uh, You work in a bakery, you're going to start to understand um, how it runs, cash flow situation, what what kind of, how much um, your your ingredients are going to cost, how, what the shelf life is of your products, uh, where the location should be for your bakery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you're in my industry, public relations industry, um, many people think that they can do public relations, uh, and, they're, and they're going to just set up, go out there and start a business because they like people. Well, come and work with me or go and work in another PR agency, and you're going to learn that public relations is much deeper and much more complex than all of that. So having experience is key. Understanding the marketplace is key. Thank you very much. Andrea, are you back with us? I am. Thank you. Okay, talk to us about, you agree with Jane, anything you want to add about understanding the marketplace, the industry, get over the naive, I'm going to change the world without knowing what the world is. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't even think, one of the things about being naive is don't be afraid to just ask. I think one of the great things you can do in building a company is feel so inspired by it that you don't mind calling people you don't know 
getting names of people that you know you could get great information from and just ask a lot of questions. One of the things that I wasn't as familiar with in my business, certainly I knew a lot about consumer technology. I had worked at other startups. I had worked at other big technology companies. But I didn't know a lot about ordering groceries or how the grocery industry worked. And you're right. You have to know all of the little trade industry publications that people are reading and what's the news in this industry and what are they really learning. But it also was worthwhile just to see if anyone knew someone that I could take to coffee or buy a drink and learn a bunch. Just ask as many inane, ridiculous questions as you can because it gives you the greatest understanding of what you really need to accomplish. And in particular, if your business relies on partnerships, understanding what's going to motivate someone to want to work with you. Thank you. Guess what, Andrea, I'm looking at your notes, and there's something in here that made me smile, made me laugh, but might make our audience very, very sad. We Let's see, we have nine minutes till the end of the show. I think we have plenty of time to cover this topic, and then we'll ask Molly and Jane to chime in. You ask the question, what are investors really thinking when they meet you? <laughs> now, I don't think there's anybody out there in the audience who says, well, I put on my best, I don't know, I got my Manolos, and I got my whatever briefcase or whatever purse on my shoulder, and I have the latest. Uh, color tinted lipstick and my hair is conservative and I've got the right suit or pantsuit and oh they're going to think of me I am a serious woman entrepreneur and they want to give me a lot of money and your, your answer is they're thinking what color carpet would look good on my next Learjet how's the lunch menu here and what car should I buy or what boat should I buy next are they even thinking about you at all when they meet you Andrea give us the bad news first please I think this is the biggest lesson I had as an entrepreneur is learning how to raise money and how to think about investors. First of all, they listen to ideas all day long. It's what they do. Their job is to judge ideas. And if you don't grab them in the first minute, not with what you're wearing, not with your background, not with your pedigree, but with your idea, yes, they will spend the rest of the time being polite and thinking of other things until they tell you, a soft answer of why they think it's not a good fit, or maybe a couple of things for you to think about. By the way, those are no's. And it's important to know that those are no's because often investors don't spend a lot of time explaining why something's a no or giving you a firm answer. But that first minute of your idea, of your pitch, is so important because you have to make them feel three things. First, that this idea is going to be a $100 million business. It is a big idea, and it has to feel big. When we pitched Foodily, I think the first slide of our presentation didn't have any words. It was a picture of Michelle Obama. How are you grabbing them? How are you waking them up from every other pitch that they've heard that day and are going to hear? The second thing is that you have to make them feel right away that you know your industry and what you're talking about and how you're solving a big problem. Not just that it's a cool idea, not that it's a cool technology, but that you actually know how to apply it. And the third thing is, a little further down, you can get them to concentrate and engage, and you'll know they're engaged because they're asking questions and you can't really move forward very well, is to impress on them that you have the right team. Not just that you're the right person, but you can and could build a team that's tenacious enough to turn something that's an idea into a reality. 
You know, wow. team, is, team is so important. When I've spoken to angel investors in particular, uh, they've told me that it's all about the team. When they're investing in a company, it, it, the idea needs to be great. They, they, they have to believe that, that it can be implemented. But it's all about the people who are going to implement it. The, I think team is crucial. So I say it again, you cannot do it alone. I Thank think you, one Jane. Thing to, right. One thing about, um, about investors is that, you know, in that their whole job is to evaluate ideas and decide whether it's worth spending money on or not. And certainly the bigger the, the investor you're talking to in Silicon Valley here, many are large-scale venture capitalists who are looking for $100 million, $200 million, $300 million exits, is that once they fall in love with the idea, they are evaluating the team and that if they have listened to your idea and they've dismissed it, then you want to make sure that you don't shop your idea to a million places before your pitch is absolutely perfect or as perfect as you think you can get it. So I think it's an it's a idea that I've seen most entrepreneurs go after, which is, well, I'm just going to pitch this to 100 people. But these guys mm-hmm. all go to the same exact cocktail parties. And the so conversation goes something like this. Oh, yeah. I talked to them too. Yeah, it's also a no. And then Andrew, someone who you haven't talked to is like, that, they're a no? That's a no? Okay, that's a no idea. So, Andrea, really be selective in how you practice your pitch too. Thank you. I think I heard Molly. We're almost out of time. So, Molly, let's get your comment, and then you each get 45 seconds for predictions. Go ahead, Molly. Yeah, and it's just a really quick question to Andrea is how much of her time now that she has secured capital or external funding is spent on managing those relationships? Really, that, that becomes your board. And every entrepreneur has to decide the relationship with their board. Now, my mm-hmm. board is we meet every other month. And it's a very fixed formula. And I, I think I read a book at one point that said you should really try to command and control your own board. So I've set a schedule up front, and that works for us. It's about nice. the right cadence. However, they're investors. You send them your successes. You, talk, you get advice from them about their problems. And in our case, a lot of times they're very helpful in saying how other companies might have solved a similar problem. Nice. Thank you very much, ladies. It's time for us to move very quickly into the predictions crystal ball round. I'm going to circle back to Jane Westman, president of Jane Westman PR, public relations. Jane, if we met again in 2020 or any time, it could be tomorrow or next week or 10 years from now, what would be different about this conversation on the topic of changing your game, steps to starting up on your own? What would be the key things you think we might be talking about at a future time? Tell me the time. Tell me what you're talking about. I'll give you 45 seconds. Go, Jane Westman. I, I think we're going to see a lot of many more women running their own businesses. I think that the that young women today, twenties, thirties, forties, um, are going to find ways to have uh, integrate families and entrepreneurship. And I think we might be talking a little bit more about who's taking care of the kids while you're running the business and finding some solutions for work life balance. Thank you very much. Let's move to Andrea Cutright. Predictions. Forty five seconds. Go. Predictions. I predict most universities will have entrepreneurship as a course of as a course of work. To understand that within today's economy and within the world economy that we live in today, there will be more and more small businesses and transitional businesses, or something that starts as a small business and is acquired into a larger company, and that more Americans, more people worldwide 
will be executing ideas and companies than we've ever seen before. Very exciting. Very exciting. Thank you very much. And uh, let's go to Molly McCoy. Predictions, 45 seconds. Go. Yeah, we're at an all-time high of startups at present time. And I, I think that we'll see a blend of startups as well as more free agent, um, a larger free agent workforce. And by 2020, that that will move closer to a 50% workforce um, versus we're around 30 to 35 right now. But across the U.S., that's the demographic we'll be looking at. Thank you very much. I have a quick yes or no question for the whole panel. Got to move this one fast. We didn't talk about it, but does where you go to college today matter in terms of coming out and having the wherewithal, the ability to think, the ability to process and analyze information, hit the ground running, if you will, for a woman who aspires to be an entrepreneur and start her own company early, very, very young. Does the college where she, that she attends and the program she subscribes, she puts into her, her resume from college, does that matter, make a difference? Jane Westman, yes or no? I, I think it's what you do with your college education, not where you go to school. That, that's really important. So it depends on what courses you take uh, and how much mentoring you get. I, I advise women to build their networks in college and to look for professors and, and other uh, professionals who can be your mentor and and help you build your business thinking uh, as early as possible. Thank you. I'm going to now ask Andrea Cutright, agree or disagree with Jane Westman, who put it so beautifully. Andrea, agree or disagree? I'm a, a little bit of in the Elon Musk school, which is a definite no. It does depend on how confident and resourceful you are as a human, and lots of times good universities can help you build that. Thank you. Molly McCoy, quick answer, yes, no, or maybe. I have three kids and one starting college tours next year, and it doesn't hurt if it's a a strong school for what they're focused in, which is um, completely up to them. Thank you very much. Jane Westman, thank you. Andrea Cutright, thank you. Molly McCoy, thank you. Thank you to executive producer Jenny Dearborn for putting together this amazing panel. Smart, insightful, savvy, well-spoken, and great experience. Thank you for sharing, all three of you. Shout out to Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my very brief call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel, 11 a.m. Eastern with Coffee Break with Game Changers, another live edition. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.